hold the silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 6th, 2009. There's always new people coming in to the show and I advise them to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com where they can download lots of talks I've given in the past and I do try to give you or at least share some of the knowledge I've gained through life where I try to paint the big picture of the system which guides us and we are guided by very intelligent people, all connected with each other, using foundations, non-governmental organizations, the educational system, and there's no conspiracy really involved because they've published many, many books over the last hundred odd years especially, stating where they're taking the world and how to do it. They even have their own websites up now, openly uh, boasting about where they're taking us. Because we're so dumbed down now and so used to being domesticated like animals that we allow ourselves to be guided along these paths. And, of course, they also use massive propaganda from regular media. You can't watch a comedy today without being downloaded with some kind of new dictator or other political correctness. It abounds everywhere. That's how you manage the minds of the people. Also, we can do... Alan Watt Sentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks, which you can download, print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. And for those who want to keep me going, you can go into cuttingthroughmatrix.com website and purchase that for which I, I have for sale. There's not a lot there, so I rely upon you to also donate to me, and that helps pay, at least almost pay for the cost of what I do here. Uh, those who want to donate, and I know there's a lot of discs get passed around, and so they don't even come into the site to see where to send it. Send your donations to Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, site 41, box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P-3-E-4-N-1. That's Peter 3-E for Elizabeth. Four and for Nora, one. We are, as I say, we've always been on a roll towards new world orders. It's really just different phases of the next world order, one after another, because a hundred odd years ago, when they came up with the, the more formulated scientific socialism, they decided they'd have to take the world on by segments and categories and peoples and ethnic groups and religious groups and so on. Therefore, they devised five-year plans for certain segments, 10, 15, 50, 100, 200-year plans. When the League of Nations was came into being, uh, they published many of their big studies to do with these same plans and agendas with 50 and 100-year plans for different things. The communist system, which is just socialism in a hurry, according to Stalin, uh, also used these, these, these terms, 50-year plans, five-year plans. So every step of 
of the political correctness and the globalization is done in plans, 55, 10, 15, 30, for different parts of the agenda. If you look into previous books written by the NGOs and the big foundations that are associated with the United Nations, their big, big front group, you'll find that even the takeover of the water supply was written about back in the 60s, 1960s. They planned to take over the world's water supply, saying no one could possibly own it themselves. Therefore, if you had a well on your property, there's only rights, since it belonged to everyone. The government should be in charge of that water, and, of course, eventually your food, too. I'll be back with more after these messages. the matrix. It's interesting to watch this big world move towards the plan in a big way now. And I said before the G20 summit uh, that what would come out of it would be more power to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. You see, they were set up in the first place a long time ago for this very function of appearing to run the world's economy, the total economy, because we're going into the global phase now. That's why this, all this hoopla has started. That's why they crashed the economy at this time, in fact. It's us who must believe in it. We must believe uh, that they have no option but to take tighter control of everything on a global scale now that we're all interdependent. And when you look back again a hundred odd years, or into the 1800s, 1880s, when the Fabian Society came into being, uh, funded by different bankers and the Astor family. And you look into the members from the beginning right through to the present time, you find lots and lots of prime ministers belong to it. Another branch of it really is the Socialist International. And you'll find many presidents, in fact, have also been or are members of it as well. So they have these umbrella groups and splinter groups, but they're all really working together. You see, if you were to bring the world together, and they realized this back in the 1800s, and even before that when they were having the worldwide revolutions led by Freemasonry, wide, it's wide open now, it's in all their own publications, as they take the credit for it. But it was well known that they knew that different peoples, different cultures wouldn't get on so easily people tend to hold on to their cultures and their values. So they'd have to supply leaders, good shepherds for every culture, maybe for the next 100, 150 years, in fact. And those shepherds would have to lead their flocks all together towards the meeting place where they can mix all the sheep in the same one pen. But that would take time. And the Fabian Society took its name after Fabian, an emperor, who, who favored really delaying tactics, delaying tactics, incrementalism, slow, slow, a little bit at a time. Don't push for the maximum all at once. And this is the technique they use in scientific socialism as a trainers. With every intake in kindergarten every year, it's a little bit ahead of the one the previous year. That's how it's done. Beria talked about that at the common term meeting in about 1934. 
in his day, he said it would take 70 years to retrain the whole population. At that time, they called it a complete generation. But he said they'd already got down to a perfect art, whereas every five years they could upgrade the population with the intakes of children being taught a little bit more than the one before. And what were they teaching them? More politically correct ideas, altering their viewpoints, feeding them idealism. It's an ideology you feed the children, exactly what Obama's planning to do. And Obama himself is a front man who's proven his worth to the world Fabian society. He's right on board with it. And you also have his top advisor, Mr. Hess, who, of course, was the head of the CFR, the parallel government. That's exactly what the Fabian Society, the Milner groups, they're all connected together. They're all splinters of the same organization. Uh, that's what, exactly what they planned to do an awful long time ago, eventually bring in the parallel governments which they would set up and run, exactly what Carl Quigley talked about, and he was the historian for the CFR. That's been done. And now they're bringing them together more openly now that we accept it. And most of the public, to be honest with you, don't really care much about anything that's going on outside their fun and games from television. They really don't. Or outside their own paycheck. Really, really don't care who is managing them. That's exactly the technique that Russell said would be implemented until they got them to that step. Once they're all there, they can really rush ahead with the agenda and stop being so Fabian in their movements. That's what we're witnessing today. This is an article from Old Thinker News. Uh, it's going along this topic in the March 31st, 2009, by Daniel Taylor. Since the Council on Foreign Relations often described as the real State Department, and it has been, because pretty well everybody in it is a member of it, has been since long before Quigley's day in the 60s. SIS has launched an initiative, initiative to promote and implement a system of effective world governance. World governance. The program is titled the International Institutions and Global Governance Program. That's the IIGG. And that's exactly what I was talking about. You see, international institutions, that's their private foundations and NGOs, and global governance program. It says it utilizes the resources of the David Rockefeller Studies Program. And we know all about him, look into him and what he funded and founded and all the rest of it. It says to assess existing regional and global governance mechanisms. Initial funding for the program came with a $6 million grant from the Robina Foundation, which claims that the grant is one of the largest operating grants ever received in their council history. The IIGG program launched on May the 1st, 2008. They love, they love May Day, don't they? As the latest manifestation of an agenda that has existed since and before the founding of the Council on Foreign Relations, former CFR member Rear Admiral Chester Ward stated regarding the group, the most powerful clique in these elitist groups have one objective in common. They want to bring about the surrender of the sovereignty and national independence of the United States. I'd say it's for the whole planet, actually. A second clique of international members in the CFR comprises the Wall Street international bankers and their key agents. See, socialism is not run by the people at the bottom. They use minority groups. They use the disaffected, as they call them, those in the fringes. 
and always by supposedly championing their causes, they end up with more bureaucracies that master everyone else beneath them, the whole planet. That's the key to it. They, they couldn't care less about the, the victims that they help promote into higher levels of society. They couldn't care less about them. Just primarily they want the world banking monopoly from whatever power or how it ends up in the control of global government. They want socialism, you see, is supposed to eventually, remember it's run by the bankers, is going to announce itself as being a sort of watchdog over the world's economy. And people will never associate the bankers running the system. It's kind of like having the fox in the hen house. That's exactly what it is. But remember what Rockefeller said himself. He said, it's much preferable to have an elitist, intellectual elitists, and bankers, he says, uh, running the world, directing the, the world's course, rather than leaving it to the auto-self-determination of nations. This is the guy who helped. And, and, and uh, he was the chairman of the CFR for years in the trilateral, another group that belongs to them. It says the international institutions and global governance program identifies several global issues that require a system of world governance. And this is exactly what came out of, as I say, that, that G20 meeting. I said they go for the IMF, World Bank, and it also wants sustainability and environmental issues. In other words, uh, the weather. They want better weather, you see, climate change and all that. Just environmental issues. Terrorism, the global economy, and energy are all mentioned. The project then states that a system of universal membership could be pursued all or, or, or alternately a regional organization such as a European Union model. Now, the European Union model was based on the first model. Remember with the Cecil Rhodes and the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the British CFR. They said that you as Britain, see the UK is the United Kingdom. That was a small model for the world. The small model for the world. And eventually you end up with one government running the whole thing. So they fashioned the European Union on that, with one government running the whole thing. Now they're going for the planet, you see. So they want to set up a system based on the European Union model. The European Union is a dictatorship, or really uh, an oligarchy. It's, it's, it's incredible with uh, its dictatorial methods, and there's no questioning it. It's beyond question by any of the citizens. It says, in each of these spheres, the program will consider where the most promising framework for governance is formal organization with universal membership, such as the United Nations. Of course, that's where they set it up. A regional or a sub-regional organization, a narrower informal coalition of like-minded countries, or some combination of all three. The program calls for the reconceptualizing of national sovereignty. Well, you know what that means. It means putting in the trash can. That's what it means, which is always their goal. Citing the European Union's pooling of sovereignty as a model, the CFR project recognizes that historically the United States has been resistant to the ideas of global governance. The project states among the most important factors determining the future of global governance will be the attitude of the United States. It says few countries have been as sensitive as the United States to restrictions on their freedom of actions or is zealous in guarding their sovereign prerogatives. The program then states that the separation of powers, as stated in the Constitution, along with the U.S. Congress, stand in the way of the United States assuming new 
international obligations. So they're on a, a complete roll, as you can see, to their new system, and they've almost got it accomplished because you have to train the public every generation, and the public must always acquiesce to everything that's happening to them. We always agree by our silence. We do nothing. And it just rolls on to the next step, and that becomes law because no one spoke up. No one, no one said no. And I understand why no one says no, because every political party is run by the same group at the top. It doesn't matter who's down below. Put your own men at the top, exactly what Quigley said. We've had that for 80 years. Back with more after this break.
presenting official numbers in a way that often snapped the line between mere distortion and untruth. They don't like to say lies, you see, the journalists, so it's because of untruth. And that was the Soviet system. They always had their great five-year plans for the, for the crops and so on, or for some irrigation or whatever it happened to be. And all through the building and construction, you, people lived on propaganda. The propaganda was so intense, you'd believe it, even though your eyes saw nothing happening. It's more important, you see. And people will take perception rather than fact of what they see themselves. And that's what we see with, with the socialism. Great pomp and circumstance. But really, what have they done? You know, the saviour of the world, Mr. Brown. But what impressed me with Mr. Brown was his technique of speaking. He's talked, he talked like a world manager, a bureaucrat, not like a, a prime minister. He reminded me of the few occasions where you'll hear someone from a United Nations department speak directly instead of going through their public relations board. And they speak down to the public. They say what the public will do shortly and how they will react shortly, etc., etc. There's no negotiating with these types. They're arrogant. And they're masters. They're taught to be masters, not elected leaders. And it says here, but despite warning, but despite everything that I know about Brown, his G20 statement and much of the media's summit coverage made me un-arqueasy, it says. Smile, ogle at the First Lady's dresses, and pretend everything is fine. We're being told to fear not. We have a communique. The world is saved. Hurrah. The G20 hyperbole, complete with a one-day relief rally on global markets, is pure escapism. It's the real-life equivalent of SOMA, the mind-bending drug used for mass thought control in Aldo Huxley's Brave New World. The warm and the richly colored, the infinitely friendly world of SOMA holiday, the thought Harry and Lenina as they danced around Westminster Abbey, how kind, how good-looking, how amusing everyone was. Our leaders need to snap out of this trance and face reality. During the first quarter of last year, the United Kingdom's gross domestic product fell 1.6%. We're now looking at 4% decline in 2009, in my view, and a further contraction next year. In fact, unless the Western world grabs its banks by the scruff of the neck, force them to come clean about their losses, so thawing our frozen credit markets, we could see an 8% peak to trough GDP, fall, far worse than the early 1980s. House prices dropped only 2.7% during the first three months of 2009, etc., etc. So they're telling you the economy is still going down the tubes, and here's these guys at the top having their balls, these big pageants that they're having. But mind you, these balls are just there for show anyway, because all the, the, the work was done by bureaucrats long before these guys meet to sign agreements. They don't draft them up. We're watching a pantomime. A pantomime where these guys give you a perception that they really are making decisions for the world. They were made long ago, long ago, and we're on a timetable. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
food metrics. Eleanor was talking about how children are used by progressive indoctrination. Year to year, new intakes, new indoctrination for the things which they will see happen through their life and social change, all planned before they were born. So you upgrade them so that they had about 20, and those changes will all seem quite natural to them because they've had intense indoctrination before they're able to really reason things out for themselves. They have no wisdom. It takes an awful long time. It takes a lifetime to get wisdom. Therefore, the children are always used in socialist system. That's why they use camps and so on for them. They can give heavy indoctrination. That's standard throughout all of this. But this is from a, this article here is from the Times Educational Supplement, the TES, April the 1st, 2009. Fight for their rights. This is how children are used in little campaigns. By adults, of course, who all belong to the right agencies, societies and foundations and NGOs. If you involve children in campaigns, are you fostering their sense of social conscience or subjecting them to propaganda? When teachers from Hounslow Heath Infant and Nursery School a nursery school in Middlesex took 30 banner-wielding six- and seven-year-old pupils to Westminster to protest against plans to expand Heathrow Airport, the children were resolute. Six- and seven-year-olds were resolute. The allocated speakers who had to be lifted up to a microphone told the audience they didn't like the amount of noise the planes created and that they could, couldn't hear their friends speaking when they flew over. Maybe it's because they've got the earphones on and they're text messaging and iPodding each other and all that kind of stuff. I was impressed by the children. They seemed to understand what they were saying, says Catherine Harper-Quinn, the head teacher. Normally I wouldn't advocate using young children in campaigns but we're talking about their future. And you see these characters who are all politically correct and are using the national education system and the international educational system to program the children for PC stuff, political correct stuff. But where does all this really tie in? Well, you scroll down this here, and it goes into where it's all coming from. Because there's only one segment of where it's, what it's all about. It says, to do with... with Citizenship programs taught at school. Citizenship, well, guess who defines what good citizenship is? Well, the United Nations does, of course. And who funds it? Foundations fund it. And money from the taxpayer as well, of course. It says there's different names for the citizenship programs because it covers a whole bunch of areas in social change. Says many schools do a good job of embedding embedding citizenship in the curriculum, but could do better at encouraging pupils on the participation side. Others do the opposite. He says, "A guy talking about it, Tony Breslin, chief executive of the Citizenship Foundation." But it's also to get children involved in politics at a very early age. Exactly what communitarianism is all about. And, of course, as I say, you have no wisdom when you're young and you're given the dialectic. This or that. This or that. Pick your argument on this side or that side. They don't know they're being set up. And they'll become very vehement and aggressive and angry during their debates, I'm sure, at that age, since they haven't a clue what life's all about, except for their indoctrination. 
And this is the stuff they're putting into children's heads. There's a whole wide variety of topics. They create what they call world peace. But no one's fighting with anyone else. They'll have world peace. The same thing that Arthur Kostler talked about in The Ghost of the Machine. World peace to him was lobotomization of the brain, literally, done by chemicals. So you're watching that see, Britain's ahead of the U.S. in using children and giving them idealistic indoctrination, idealism, ideology. But now it's going to really step up because Obama's there to sign all the stuff to bring the U.S. into this global system of indoctrination. That's why they put them in now. Bush set up the machinery of force that can be used across all, by all agencies now, including children's aid. You get SWAT teams now for children's aid. So the whole machinery was set up, and Obama has put in afterwards to bring the U.S. into the global system, including the indoctrination of youth. Big thing in socialism, they never change their methods. You can always recognize it. And unfortunately, it works because children who have massive indoctrination, and once you have one generation of them, it would take another 70 to 80 years after those people had died off before you'd be back to a healthy society. This is also understood at the top. So it's a, as I say, it's a ongoing battle. Most folk don't even know the battle is on. If they do know it's on, they're stuck in one little area of it. They're stuck in blaming one bunch or another bunch, not realizing, as I say, the good shepherds are the top of every group. And the good shepherds are a brotherhood to lead all the sheep into the central pen for this wonderful, peaceful world they're creating. They've got them at the top of all religions, all ethnic groups, all belong to the same society at the top. That's all you need. And the sheep follow. And they'll talk a good walk and, and speak the good talk and be the epitome of what you think stands for you. Guarantee you. And I will go to the callers and there's, there's Tony from New Orleans there. Are you there, Tony? Hey, Professor Allen. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I've been better. They're pumping out bad chemicals right now. But yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you saw them shootings around. Like you're talking about the chemical uh, brainwashing. It's no coincidence that it all pops up all at one time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, and George Orwell's, you, your assessment of Orwell was spot on just recently on that other guy's show. Mm-hmm. He was a man born into it, who was raised for it, but he glitched. Mm-hmm. And he went against it. Yeah. And that's obvious from reading his writing. And this Aldous Huxley, if you read Brave New World, he's all about it. You know, yeah. no matter how much he's supposed to be writing about a, a counter character, he's writing about a man who's, you know, it, it, it's all in glorious terms. There's no, mm-hmm. oh, this is bad. It's like, man, this is a great idea. Yeah. Now, in Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 451 and in Brave New World, they have this place for people who can see people who understand, and they send them off to this place and separate them, and it's a nice place where they can live a normal life. But that yeah. didn't exist in Orwell's world. Mm-hmm. There was no special magical land where the alphas who weren't supposed to be alphas could go off to. Yeah. 
And I'm just wondering, does this place really exist? Is there really a place where people who can see, who don't want any part of it, where they'll just let them go and live and mm-hmm. won't mess with them and let them do their own thing? Is that no. real or is that just propaganda? It's propaganda. Um, I mean, Orwell's day, there were still areas that the communications were not as, a, as so far ahead as they are today. Uh, you didn't have um, every country across the world belonging to United Nations at that time run by United Nations that push big militaries for internal rioting and so on. Uh, so there were places you could go and probably live out the rest of your life. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, his generation, he knew he'd be, they'd be gone by now anyway. So, but no, this, this uh, socialist um, banker uh, agenda, economist really, um, plans to let no one escape, no one escape whatsoever. In fact, um, you'll now see the push going towards the banning of homeschooling, for instance. Everyone must get the same indoctrination. And that was stated by the Prime Minister or President of Italy uh, just last year. He said that they were banning homeschooling because everyone must have the same indoctrination. Hillary Clinton said the same thing. You use that word, indoctrination? Yes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. They don't even try to hide it anymore, really. They don't have to. They don't don't have to, no. So it's out in in the open, but, yeah, they they plan to have no... Eventually, they they plan to conquer the entire globe. And anyone that has memory of another way of living or different opinions will be their number one enemy. So... Well, that's the whole purpose of the Alzheimer's and all that. Yeah is to annihilate anybody who has any memory that could contradict what they're putting out. Yes. You would understand that socialism, as I say, when you look into that, for instance, that video, uh, the Russian story, they, have, they always go by the same techniques, and they always eradicate a good, popula- a good uh, amount of the populations of the countries as they take them over. And I've said before, there's many ways to eradicate people. You're getting sterilized in the West, and, and their own statistics are telling us that every year. Um, and that's nobody not by makes chance. a big deal out of it. The sperm counts dropped yes. by 70% since 1930, and nobody's going, wait, oh, my God, what's going on here? Yes, well, that doesn't just, happen, obviously, in, in nature unless something's happened to the people, and something has obviously happened to the people. But then you tie in with Huxley's, uh, Julian Huxley's talks and and uh, Russell, and they, used, they talked about using the needle, the, the inoculations, uh, in, in their own books. And right. the, the, they also talked about uh, compulsory sterilization. And they also said that the elite would have antidotes to these things they would put into the public arena so that the elite themselves could produce the right offspring. Uh, they were quite open about the whole agenda. And um, we're, we're, we're living through that stage right now. They're pretty well... Uh, this mission accomplished almost for them. Yeah. Now, read 1984. He talks. He glosses over very briefly the stage leading up to the world they're living in, mm-hmm. and talks about he comes home one day and his mama, who can remember that stage, is just gone. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think that he wrote about that stage in depth. I think that they wouldn't let him publish that. What do, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, in his own uh, memoirs, he talked about the fact he had, now he had contracts with three major international publishers when he was putting out the pro-socialist stuff that he'd been indoctrinated in himself at Cambridge University. And these were ongoing, uh, limitless. And when he came out and turned against them after fighting 
uh, in the Spanish Civil War. He came home and went round the socialist clubs, and uh, they walked out on him, most of them. They didn't want to hear this bad news about socialism. And then his publishers, uh, he couldn't get his book, his book published by any one of them, even though they were all under contract to publish his books. And that's when he realized that all publishing companies are is an international group that will decide what you will think and what, what will be kept from you. That's the real function of publishers. It's not to help you get your books out. It's to decide what the public will hear and what they will not hear. So therefore, he became an independent small firm and managed to get it published, it published through them. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I always got the sense, you know, in Fahrenheit 451 and in Brave New World, it's kind of glamorizing the whole lifestyle. Yes. But there was no glam in 1984. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of felt these places for people who could see and didn't want to be a part of it went off there. And uh, Yes. You know, I didn't, I'm like, this can't be real. And I, mm-hmm. I recently I got back from a trek around the country following some rumors, looking yeah. for these places. Because people talk about them and people say they've been there. Mm-hmm. And I went looking for them, and, and what I saw was areas where people who see congregate. Yeah. And that's just to get them to congregate there so they're easier to get rid of. Mm-hmm. What I saw, I mean, like, I went up to Northern California, and it was totally, there's all kinds of people who would be, like, right on with what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, they don't realize there's four-lane highways mm-hmm. running through a county with 150,000 people. Yeah. There's no need for a four-lane highway. They don't understand that four-lane highway is there for when the time comes. They're moving yeah. in on you. That's right. That is right. They're, they're putting through near where I am uh, giant highways uh, at a time when we're supposedly under a massive uh, economic depression. It's had been on the go now for about four years, winter and summer, seven days per week. It's a mandate. And uh, it's hard. you don't need it for the kind of traffic we have up here. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I saw. Yeah, and I, I decided that's a really bad place to to go to if mm-hmm. you're trying to get away from this stuff. Yes. Well, they talked about this a long time ago about rapid deployment forces for internal strife. They published articles from the CFR and other other agencies twenty uh, odd years ago on this, and they talked about the necessity for uh, creating super highways that would for the military to to get to response places in time. Yeah. Yeah, they always I plan mean, ahead, way ahead. Yeah. Yeah, uh, everything you're saying, uh, I've seen so much truth in all. You, you know, some of the stuff like you're talking about the spraying. Mm-hmm. And where I went, I went to Humboldt County in California. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw on your website they got this stuff in the grass that kind of looks like a spider web. That's a yes. result of the spraying. Yeah, that's right. Well, what I found in walking walking the old loggers roads in California is wherever the trees didn't block it, it Uh built up in the grass. Yes. (laughs) And it looks like maybe some kind of mite is living there, and if you stand there and stop for a minute, and it's only where there was a break in the trees, this stuff would congregate drifting in off the coastal winds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you grab it, and it just kind of dissolves in your hand. That's right, and if it gets too much sunlight, uh, it likes to shade too too much sunlight, uh, it will turn into a white powder. And yeah. right now, as the, as the snow is retreating, I've had, to, oh, I've had about 15 inches of snow since the weekend. But before that, 
the snow is retreating and you've got four or five months of snow concentrated spraying there going down and down and where it's retreating from the grass you see this uh, white spider web stuff that's been like that now for a few years every spring yeah, it looks like there should be mites living in. If you stop and stand in it for 30 minutes, you should be covered in mites. But if yes. you stop and stand in it, you're not covered in mites. Something's wrong there. Yeah, it's a chemical powder, yeah. Like, I mean, when I saw the thing about the spraying, I'm like, oh, this guy's crazy. That's, there's no way they're doing that. But then, I mean, I actually saw the stuff. You, and I think, I think the marijuana counteracts the effects of it. I think the THC is so powerful that whatever it is they're pumping out, it overpowers that. I think that's why they're so against THC. They're also against just ordinary cigarettes. And I I think partly it's because um, uh, if you're smoking, uh, you tend to cough up a lot of phlegm, and you'd also block the... the, See, this stuff is almost based on nanotechnology. It's meant to go into the alveolar sacs of the lungs, right into the bloodstream. And there's anything they're interfering, it's going to get trapped and it won't get through. And I, I think that's part of the massive campaign against smoking. They don't care how many folk die off with cancer. They don't care about that. They're, here they are talking about sustainability and population reduction. Why would they care about folk dying of cancer? <laughs> if you're, you know, I was watching, uh, have you ever seen Super Size Me, the thing about the food? Yes. Well, they were talking to the lobbyists in Washington, for the food companies, and he's saying it's, your personal responsibility to eat food without the crap in it. <laughs> well, I go to the grocery store, there is no food without the crap in it. You're dead on. I, I've noticed that too. But thanks for calling. I'll be back with more after the break. from North Carolina is on the line of there, Rachel. Hi. Yes. Thanks for taking my call again. Oh, um, I watched the Soviet story that you talked about. Yeah. And so now I have a vivid picture of what socialism is. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember watching the Norman Dodd video about how they're trying to roll us into the, basically those uh, three organizations, the Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and Carnegie Mm-hmm. We're trying to rule us into this socialism. Yes. And um, you were talking earlier about the CFR, and I was watching something on them, how their funding originally was from the Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and Carnegie. Is that true? They, they did get, uh, yeah, they fund each other into existence because they're all run by the same bankers, really. Uh, but they also got massive grants um, from some families like the Astor family mm-hmm. uh, and the Astor family really put the, the cash out there for them and then they moved off to Britain and put the rest of the money into the, Briti- the British Fabian Socialist Society. See, that the Fabian Society is only part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. You always find that there's a main group running all of these different organizations mm-hmm. and the Royal Institute for International Affairs was set up to bring in global government, the Brotherhood of Man, but run by, again, the experts and the bankers. So they have all these other groups down below them specializing in different areas. The Fabian side of it was to set up uh, leaders for working class and minorities that would eventually vote them into power, more and more of them. But the, object, the objective really was to create more bureaucracies that would, that would then 
lord over all of the populace. That was the mm-hmm. intention of it. Massive government, the, the socialist-style government, and they also call it collectivism, which is exactly what uh, the Club of Rome said they favoured most, a collectivist society on behalf of those at the top that will be run in a communistic fashion at the bottom. Yeah. So how are these guys getting continual funding? You know, I'm assuming they're working eight hours a day, you know, five days a week at the CFR writing these documents. Yeah. Um, do they, you know, how do they get their funding? Uh, the, the, they are funded... Uh, again, by the, the big, the other foundations. You'll find that there's thousands of foundations out there, but you just have to go to the main rich families. The Rothschild family has many foundations for France, mm-hmm. and so does the uh, Rockefeller family for the States. It's primarily the Rockefeller family. Uh, they have many, again, front foundations. They funnel money from one foundation to another, but it comes from the Rockefeller Foundation. And uh, then how, do, how does, um, how does the C- CFR kind of weasel their way to get their documents used by the government? Or does the government come to them and say, you know, we're no, going to use no, you as you consultants? No, what it is. What it is is a lot of their members are always present in every government. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go asking for them. Uh, they've worked alongside government, like a parallel government since they were created. And uh, mm-hmm. many of the top people, as you know, um, our, our present members are supposed to pr- uh, pretend they've left it while they're in office. Uh, at least they did right. in the old days. I don't think they bother anymore to stay, to stay members of the CFR. So they so just kind of get um, brought into the CFR and then they go back and forth into government. That's right. And you also have many of them in high-level federal bureaucratic positions that are permanent members of the CFR. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. And have all sides, all parties. It doesn't make any difference. It's just the dialectic they play. Well, that's it for tonight. So from Hamish, myself, and from Ontario, Canada, where there's a bit of storm going on, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.